Oh, look at that, a baby mask. Oh, we got a barber here. You know, I look on this wall, all these wrestlers of the past, all these pieces of crap hung here one by one, but nothing stands out to me. You want to know why? Because for too long, my people, the Dominicanos, been held back by each and every single person and every organization here in the United States. Well, it's about time to change. episode number four of the crowd interference podcast i am deo your host you probably know that at this point <laughs> uh sorry about the inconsistency i'm trying to work on that i got really busy at work the past week and a half and i was kind of lazy on the weekends as well too um but we'll work on that it's been a pretty interesting week and a half, two weeks, when it comes to pro wrestling. Uh, Braun Strowman killed Roman Reigns a bunch of times on TV, flipped over the ambulance that he was in, ragdolled him, all types of fantastic stuff. And it's probably been one of the best spots that they've done as far as like giving a character uh, some developmental work on the big brand. And... They kind of threw all that away when it came to the house shows because you have Braun basically destroy Roman Reigns and then, you know, say that he, Roman broke legs and arms and his clavicle ends up in his hip and all types of other nonsense. And then he shows up to a house show with just a bandage on his arm. And it's like, all right, man, y'all gotta, you know, it's not the 70s anymore where people don't see what's going on from house show to house show. Everybody's got a video camera and this stuff goes up instantaneously. Like people actually make GIFs of these things as they happen. Like you'll see a GIF before you actually see the video of the stuff. So, yeah, hopefully they, you know, do something to fix that. At least have some sort of consistency. Then we have the Superstar Shakeup, which... For me, it was kind of mixed. Um, you had some interesting stuff with uh, sending Charlotte over to SmackDown. And the New Day is going over to SmackDown as well, but they aren't going to show up for another few weeks or so, I guess, until Kofi is completely healed. Um, you know, yeah. That, and then you had, like, the miscellaneous things like Sinkar getting trading for Kalisto. Nobody cares about that whatsoever, even if they're going to have this dumpster match with Braun Strowman but that's neither here nor there because he's going to kill Callisto um, the one I guess the biggest thing is probably that came out of it has been Jinder Mahal's push which is as unexpected as any push as I've ever seen uh, in pro wrestling because you know Jinder Mahal was part of 3MB got released came back you know looked normal and then came back as Roman Veins as somebody said on uh, Twitter because he is jacked out of his fucking skull 
Like he's beyond vascular at this point. Like he, his entire body is essentially just veins. It's fucking ridiculous. Um, but the, I guess the biggest thing out of it, other than him being the number one contender, is the fact that we may actually have an Indian faction uh, within the WWE, which on one hand could be very dope, and on the other hand could just go really fucking bad. Because the WWE does not have a good track record when it comes to handling people of color. The faction as it is now looks like it is Jinder Mahal with the Bollywood boys who apparently are now going by the Singh brothers, uh, as well as one of the NXT super developmental NXT uh, Indian signees that they had from a few years back. So that could be really interesting. Um, But the thing that bothered me, and a lot of times what we see in pro wrestling fandom on Twitter and Facebook and so on and so forth, tends to carry up to what we end up seeing on TV. Almost like a weird hive mind type thing. And a bunch of podcasts and people on Twitter immediately said, oh, well, if there's going to be an Indian faction, then that means that they're going to have Arya Davari and Mustafa Ali. Well, no, because those two people aren't Indian. Mustafa Ali is of Pakistani descent and Arya Davari is of Iranian descent. Three very different cultures, you know, similar area of the world, but y'all gotta, you know, please touch up on your geography before you start saying things uh, of that nature. It just kind of goes with the whole, and I can't really even just say that this is pro wrestling Twitter, but this is kind of like uh, Western culture as a whole doesn't really know too much about anything outside of the immediate vicinity of where they live. So hopefully they get past that pretty soon. But I digress. Um, My guest that I'm going to have on today is Victor Rodriguez. Uh, That is my Dominican brother from another mother on Twitter that I've known probably like five or six years now. We first met uh, moderating, not even moderating. This is back in the day when we were both just commenters on Bloody Elbow and then eventually became moderators. And the rest is kind of history. Um, we touch on a bunch of different subjects until there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a technical difficulty uh, that we had, which we're going to end up rescheduling to get the other portion of at some other time. Maybe it'll be on this podcast. Maybe it'll be on his podcast, uh, Bodega Superstar. And yeah, uh, hopefully you enjoy it. It's still about an hour and some change of conversation, but uh, yeah, here you go. We are live. <laughs> I had to get a little bit of a Goldberg action in there. But um, yeah, so I'm here with Vic Rodriguez from Bloody Elbow and a bunch of other things on the internet and interwebs and such. How you doing, man? I am fantastic. What's up with you? Shit. Chilling. You know, <laughs> hot as fuck outside. Yep, I'm yep. sitting here with a fucking black mask on, like the rest of the internet to peel the shit off to get reactions and shit. So, you know, just out here living, living my best life as the young children say these days. I've always wondered if that, if there's some sort of a guilt associated with that. Like somebody puts that on and wonders, like, wow, is this really blackface? Like no one's seeing it. Yeah, you know, right. like a tree falls well, in the forest type thing. We have seen. Uh, there have been a couple. Uh, Caucasoids that have pulled that trick of uh, 
being blatantly racist while wearing the uh, black mask thing. <laughs> so well, you kind of wonder, like, look, I want to exfoliate, but I don't want to go Al Jolson. Like, what are my options? Right, right. But I will say this, like, you know, you got bad skin. I shouldn't say bad skin. But if you have skin that's very oily, you know, a.k.a. black or Latino, um, give it a try. You know, it's like hey, seven bucks. I know people... black and shit out of my face that I didn't know existed for like a decade almost. So, yeah, I, uh, I know I know people of all ethnicities that have horrible patchy skin. So that that's not exclusive in any way. Yeah. But we just, you know, you know, yeah. how our skin is. in some comparison, of us, yes, some yeah. of us because I'm, I'm gorgeous. I don't know about you. Shit. Uh, I'm gorgeous as well, but yeah, well, you know, I'm just—I yeah. was just left in the oven a little bit longer. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, being that this is usually like a pro wrestling centric uh, podcast, eh, this time will probably be a little bit uh, different around because you're not a current watcher of the uh, WWE product and such. So, but you did used to watch, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't—I don't watch really how should i put this i won't sit down and watch a three-hour episode of raw you know i'm not going to sit for any period of time in which you know an hour or something like no i i I, my attention span i think at this point uh due to multiple factors won't really allow me to do it yeah and um you know it's but yeah i mean i I, much like you i I grew up watching it that's kind of what that's kind of why we connect so well because there's so many uh, similar things. And we both grew up watching things like, you know, Kung Fu movies and reading comic books and playing video games and watching pro wrestling. And there's a certain appreciation that you have when you start off that young, because, you know, I, I've always compared it to, it's like watching a comic book come to life in some yeah. respects. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you have this self-contained set of rules and things that happen within this universe. Like, you know, that after a certain finisher, a guy isn't supposed to get up. You know, if a guy goes up to a top rope, oh, something big's going to happen. There's, there's expectations, there's limits, there's understandings of how things are set into place and then later on executed. And so, you know, when you grow up with that and then you see it for what it is, there's something there's something special there. And so, um, you know, I, I had a bit of an on and off thing. I stopped watching when I was about maybe 14. I yeah. got right back in with uh, just near the end of what was officially the Attitude Era uh, right around the time Kurt Angle made it big, like maybe 2000-ish, right? Yeah. Uh, stayed around and sat through so much garbage. Yeah. Until yeah. I just couldn't take it any fucking more. And uh, it was over for me. But, you know, the, it it, it kind of hurts thinking back on it because, you know, you throw so much money at it. You order pay-per-views. You know, you're watching every yeah. show. Uh, you know, when back when I used to work at a call center, I'd record Raw uh, every Monday, and I'd, like, pass around the tape every week. You know, so we'd have this system at the office because the cable provider I had – and this, again, I wasn't even living in the U.S. at the time. So the cable provider right. I had, like, I had Raw. Nobody else did. So I was able right. to watch uh, back then when it was TNN and um, – before they went back to uh, USA Network, and and it was it was cool to have this club and this camaraderie, and there was this thing. But after a while, it just it got to be so much. It was it got to be at a point where you would feel embarrassed to admit you were a professional wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah, I no, mean, I was there too. Uh, yeah, like uh, that was right around because like I've been pro wrestling fan since forever and forever ago. Uh, but I just like so many others, I would say right around. Uh, like the turning point for me was really just about the big, I think it was like the 
beginning portion of what they consider the ruthless aggression era, which is when Brock Lesnar right. and all those ones came. And it was like, yes, a lot of really cool things happened then, but there was a lot of trash that was going on as well. And then all of a sudden, here comes the UFC with the ultimate fighter. And that was basically the nail in the fucking coffin for me. Cause it was like, like, you know, I can turn, I can tune into this and get the same hijinks and things of that nature. But, you know, this is an actual fight that is coming to with an actual conclusion. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there was finality to a match, a a mixed martial arts match or boxing, kickboxing that the WWE just doesn't have, you know? Um, Right. But like, even though, even with all that said, like there are still, there are so many aspects of professional wrestling in mixed martial arts that, you know, a lot of people, because, you know, like back in the early like right around when the dub when uh, the ultimate fighter came out like it was a a line drawn in the sand like either you watched the WWE or you watched UFC that was it you couldn't watch both you couldn't you know right. something well, you, was wrong you, with you if you did you it know? would be like, very and it would be very expensive if you were to do so right. and let's be honest i mean you know a lot of fans you know some fans can but a lot of fans don't and it's a big ask when you have a pay-per-view every month and you know, it, it's it's very. I mean, I don't know if the UFC was doing them every month at that point yet, uh, but I think they were getting close to it. And when you know, you have WWE putting on sometimes two per month, very rarely. Uh, right. But, but when they did, you know, it's kind of what's going on with boxing fans. Well, it's it's always been the dilemma with boxing fans as well. Um, you know, uh, uh, another a fellow uh, bloody elbow writer, Mookie Alexander, uh, he mentioned something about this in June. You know, you've got I think two UFC pay per views one boxing pay-per-view, and then Bellator is also putting their pay-per-view. Not at a discounted rate. Right, either. right. You know, they're right. putting it up. They're putting it up for, for 50 uh, bucks, and depending on what your cable provider might want to throw in, might charge you 60 for high depth. So as a fan, you know, you're kind of hurting. Now you have to wonder whether you're going to, you know, starve as far as the product or, or what the hell you're going to do. But, yeah, no, your, your, your point is totally valid. Yeah. Like, it's it's a lot. And, like, right now with the WWE, like, it's – the, it's the same thing that was happening with uh, the UFC when there was like when the talks of oversaturation first started, when it was like literally there was like a four or five month stretch where you had an event every single weekend. And it was just like, yo, y'all got to fucking chill. You know, like this is this, this, this is a lot <laughs> going on right now. Like I'm I like I want to be able to take a lot of all of this stuff in, you know, and like with the WWE now, like there is. Just in ring action alone, there's at least seven hours of that every single week, and it's like, yo, that's right. Plus, that's, plus the that's that's without counting the house shows. Right, exactly. They've got the house shows. Then you know, say you have a pay per view, like so, for instance, because like I haven't, I didn't really watch Raw or SmackDown this week, just because it was just like this is too. I I had a hangover, a wrestling hangover from <laughs> WrestleMania because like so. You had on one on Saturday, you had two hours of uh, NXT, and then on Sunday you had seven hours and change of WrestleMania from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bro, this this is like I can sit down and watch a lot of stuff. Like I can sit and binge watch through, you know, the Great British Baking Show on Netflix for like seven hours. But that's just because it's my niche. But like sitting there, like trying to sit there through WrestleMania the entire time was like, yeah, this is this is painful. This is actually getting painful to watch. And you know, I know the people that were in the arena it was just like it was ridiculous. But yeah, like it's well, I mean it's been it was it was so for me this week, like 
with all this stuff and then like how we've got so many different like I don't well I don't think you know about this but like so there's so many different streaming services now to get uh, independent wrestling and so on and so forth. It's yeah. like so if you watch the WWE stuff and then you also go and watch all these other things like you know our old uh, compadre Brent Brookhouse uh, he works for Flow Slam now I believe yes. Yes, excellent and, work they're doing there. By the way, they're doing. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, not oh, just yeah. with with uh, with the pro wrestling, but just the, the, all the grappling and everything. All the, uh, grappling documentary well. pieces. They're doing excellent stuff there. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you've got all of that, and it's like, yo, this is this is a lot <laughs> to this is a lot of uh, content to try to uh, take in, and like, you know, if I stopped watching WWE, I'd be fine because I have all this other stuff that I could watch uh, as well. And you know, as you and I have talked about before, like. You know, being a fan of pro wrestling and being a person of color is a—it's uh, a bit oh, of a dicey—it's a bit of a dicey situation given the uh, history. It's it, of it. It can be fucking exhausting, is what the problem is. Yeah. But I'm, and and I'm sure we're going to to get into that. I, I should just note as a caveat, um, it's not that I don't. I mean, I I won't sit down and watch a show anymore, but I do pop my head every once in a while. You know, I'll yeah. check uh, cage side seats like every other week. You know, I'll still keep up in some way because, right. you know, again, I, I still I love professional wrestling for what it is. I love the art of professional wrestling. I love what's what these guys do. And I respect it so much. But at the same time, just I can't bring myself to do it. Not only that, I'm at a point now where and especially when you're in a position where you're actually working in, in, in some capacity, uh, in an industry like MMA and things happen so fast and so uh, frequently that, you know, I, I don't have a choice. Like this is, you know, I, I don't know how some other guys do it, but they follow the full NFL schedule and the NBA. Yeah, schedule. Hell like, no. I got shit to do. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. My, my schedule won't allow me to do that at this point. You know, it, it just doesn't, uh, it won't work out, but, but yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, uh, I might not be watching as 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 frequently, but I still kind of am pretty in the know with with some of the major stuff at least. So right. you know, it gives me some solace in a way, like to see yeah. to see that that the pro wrestling is doing well and that guys are getting paid and That's treated better. That that always that always makes me feel great to see. So yeah, yep. They've even got a Dominican guy for you now to cheer for. So <laughs> oh Jesus, does he come out with a machete and a bag of coffee? No, no, but he does come out oh, dancing, okay. so <laughs> slightly problematic. Yeah, that's good enough, you know. Yeah, probably. You know, they'll start. They'll bring in like a Sammy Sosa reference. You know, why does he look like Blanche from the Golden Girls? Da da da. That's that's probably that, that's probably what they'll do. <laughs> Which it's funny too. So, like, you remember the video game Saturday Night Slam Masters? Oh my God, do I ever! I, okay. I cherished that game. It was fascinating. So, you know how they had the the uh, character that was in there, Rasta Man. Or like so, where you're going. Yeah. Yes. So if you look at No Way Jose and you look at Rasta Man, who in the U.S. version is from Jamaica, but in the Japanese because version, he's from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> and, you know, I, I wonder where I wonder how they got that. Like in a weird way, it's kind of comforting because it's like, OK, finally, the Japanese don't just see us as baseball players. But then on the other hand, it's like. Wait, they see us as monkey people, and monkey like, people. where did they get this exactly? I, I don't know if there's some sort of complicated thing with how Japanese people uh, historically have had depictions of, of blackness in a very, very problematic light. 
Uh, I don't know if it's related to that or maybe I'm looking too much into it, but holy shit, that was, that was rough. I remember when I was looking up and in looking into the game and like you, I think I sent you the link with that. We were both kind of yeah, having yeah. a giggle a couple <laughs> months ago. And we're like, yeah, man, that's kind of crazy. And then when we're done talking about it, we're like, oh man, that was fucking sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was bad. Like, you know, it's it, like, in, it, instead of it being like, you know, like over here, like, you know, racism is like a systematic thing. Like, from what I experienced, it, I, it's, it, it can be Japan, it can be over like, there in different respects, but yes, right, yeah, like over over there, like it's more of a on the whole, what I experience is more of like a naiveness uh, that they have, like they're like it's racist, but to them it's just like you know it's not a big it's it's not like it's being done maliciously, uh, I guess you'd say like how it would be here, but you know. I don't know. I mean, we have a lot of that passive stuff here, too, you know, lowered expectations and such. And and we've discussed these things as well at length. So, I mean, I don't know if, you know, I I think it's the the matter of their having uh, them having a different historical context for things is really that that's probably the biggest factor there at play. Indeed, indeed, indeed. But uh, so and like in the past few years, so we've seen a lot of crossover with in MMA and the WWE. Uh, most mm-hmm. most recently, the big thing is uh, was Mauro Inalo becoming an announcer, a commentator for the WWE, and it looks very much like he is no longer going to be a commentator uh, you for know, the WWE. Yeah, had a, yeah, they had a great thing, and they just had to fuck that up, didn't they? Yeah. I, it, it's I a, have, <laughs> I've never seen so much support for one kind, not, not even, maybe Jim Ross. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've, I don't think I've seen anything touch this sort of excitement of like, man, I'm glad this guy's here and please don't leave. Like, I, I don't and I don't I, I understand there's apparently some sort of backstage problem, perhaps with Bradshaw being involved and some other yeah. things. I don't I, I don't feel um, I'm not necessarily qualified to uh, dip my spoon into that just yet. But if, if that stuff is true, I, I just I don't know what to tell you anymore, man. I, that's just a goddamn shame. It's been a it's been an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to navigate because, like, on one hand, you know, you have the people that are very much in the old school camp of, oh, well, if you can't deal with ribbing, then, you know, you can't, you shouldn't be in the business. And I was like, well, <laughs> it's it's not 1972 anymore, you know? Like, it's not, they, there's, you know, like, just listening, like, seeing some of the stories and shit that they had, it's like, look, I don't give a fuck who you are. If you touch my food, you touch my money, or you touch my belongings. Somebody's catching hands. Point blank. Period. You know, like I'm not going to sit there and like, like have if somebody steals my passport, like somebody's got mm. to fucking go. You know, so like Man, you had what? Shit, like, stuff like that, and like of course, even with Mara, like there is the infamous uh, video on YouTube uh, when Crow Cop and Boss Rudin and all of them pranked uh, Mara Ronaldo back in the day, and like you could see that motherfucker was shook oh, yeah. to death like when that happened but it was like you know enough about about that well but let me let me let me expand on that point briefly if i could um there's something about that that needs to be noted you said very aptly that it's not 1972 anymore it's not 1972 backstage in the locker room and it sure as fuck isn't 1972 out in the real world okay mental illness especially in the case of Mar ronaldo who's been very well documented in his situation and who's struggling every day just to get out of bed was trying to motivate other people and let people know, hey, listen, I'm struggling, but I'm not done. You can make a life. 
even in these circumstances. When you got a guy like that and you're harassing him and bullying him, which again, if that's the case, I don't want to right. be a guy to turn here. But if that really is what's going on, man, I mean, shit, man, you you've got yourself a, a bigger series of problems. You know, you can't, you have to evolve. You can't right. just let that take place. And you know, it's funny because you mentioned the situation where. Uh, they kind of gave Mauro the little initiation. Now, for those who aren't familiar with this, now Mauro was a commentator for Pride Fighting Championships in Japan. He just got on the call after his uh, uh, boss, Rutan, had been doing commentary over there. The yeah. previous announcer, uh, companion of boss, had left. And boss said, well, you know, listen, I called an event in L.A. with this guy. He's really good. Maybe you should give him a call. They bring Mauro over. They start messing with him. And it's a, it's a great – just look up Mauro Ranallo prank. It's, I think it's the only prank video out there. Yeah. Um, then heavyweight contender at the time, Mirko Krokop, basically starts, uh, who was former Croatian military. Right. Basically, uh, they've come to some sort of agreement where they're like, well, Mauro, you're going to interview this guy. You got to get certain answers out of him. And when they go to him, the guy says, yeah, I remember you. You were that commentator from that other event you were talking shit about. Right. <laughs> and Mauro's like, well, no, this is my first time commentating. I have not done commentary before, and I'd never disrespect you like that. And they have this back and forth. And when the cameras, you know, when Mauro leaves, the camera goes back to Mirko. And Mirko's, you know, he's, he's giggling. It's, it's, it's all a goof. And they, in the end, you know, they, he kind of intimidates him a little. But, you know, they, Mauro kind of gets out of it. But you see he's breathing heavy. He's not handling this all too well. And right. after that, people kind of figured, okay, it's not – let's not push too far because he has legitimate problems. Right. I, you know, if, if they don't, if they haven't learned to, that this is of all targets of all people, this is where you're going to, I just don't get it right. because it's not like he had it in his back pocket. People have known for years for that Mauro has had this because he's been very open and candid about this for great reason. And I think right. he's done amazing work because you see it on his timeline. People that are facing uh, different uh, situations or sometimes similar circumstances. So, you know, it's it's really it's really maddening to see that take place. And Boss Rutten, by the way, his friend of twenty plus years now, yep, actually threatened. Well, he offered to kick Bradshaw's ass. Right. He's and, not. I, I should know. Rutten is Rutten is fifty something years old at this point. He's not going out there offering to beat people up willy nilly. The right. fact you brought that out of him, it that says, says something. Yes, something very major. And just like one last can, thing. Pat Militich too. Like they were both like, look, like oh, if this wow. is actually an issue, like we will show up. Like, you know, like this is and the and the thing for me is like the whole thing, especially within like the past few weeks, just seeing how like the WWE has been adamant about like this whole anti-bully campaign that they have called Be a Star. And it's like <laughs> yes. so you've got this so right. at the same time. You've got like, and I understand, like it's one thing to go and like Talk like if you guys are ribbing or not ribbing, but like if you're going back and forth on the mic, that's one thing. But like you know, if you are actively doing things backstage to make someone's life a living hell, that's not that's that's not cool. And like for everything no, that we no. know, you know, that's for everything that we know about like uh, you know how Vince McMahon and company work. You know, this is part of you know this is their thing. Like this is how they get their kicks, and it's like yo. You probably want to uh, not do that shit anymore. You know, like it's 2017. You've you're, you're, you think you think you know, and you know you've got this whole campaign of anti-bullying, but you're bullying. It's like no, yeah, it's, well, you know, I, I just yeah. let, let me let me tell you this. One last note on Boss Rutten. Here's a guy, by the way, who and this was back in maybe the early aughts. He had already retired from fighting. They were at a charity event, and Brian Erlocker, former NFL monster. Yeah. 
was there at the event. He, I don't remember if he walked past, if Rutan walked past Urlacher or something, either stepped on his foot or brushed his arm or, or spilled a drink or whatever. And Urlacher gets in his face. You got a problem, buddy? And dude's like, hey, no, man, I'm okay. Listen, let me, you know, like he tried to either make the situation right. He was very apologetic about it. Right. Because he really is that kind of guy. And uh, Urlacher looks at him. He says, you want to step outside? Boss Rutan, this six foot Dutch man, with the goofiest face ever, looks at yeah. him and smiles and says, yes, yes, I do. So yeah. they start walking out and secu security sees the shuffle, okay? And they start, you know, they, they pull Brian aside, like, Brian, what happened? And like, nah, this guy here. Security had to talk him down, be like, guy, you don't want to go outside with him. Yeah, this will okay? not That's end the, the way guy. That you think That's the guy who's out there. And I mean, oh, God, as tough as Bradshaw is, I... Jesus, nah, I, I don't, watch. You don't it, want it would that. Be, it'd be like we've seen how Bradshaw his his level of fighting back in the day when they had the uh, brawl for all uh, thing where they mm. actually had pro wrestlers boxing, which was one of, the, one of the dumbest fucking things to do. Like, you know, they made this whole tournament to get Dr. Death uh, over and he gets knocked out first <laughs> round. And then Bradshaw, he yeah. got fucking slept too and then uh bart gunn who ended up winning the tournament fought butterbean and got just wrecked like right and that's it was it was a receipt for gunn because he was the one who knocked out steve williams but then again why did you have to make it a shoot right you could have had you could have had works the whole way i mean the guys that were in there savio vega was beat up for months after that shit yeah and he's the only one of the few guys who went out on record and said like yeah that that uh -uh, we're not doing that again yeah, you know, was, there was <laughs> yeah. no reason for this. It was absurd. Yeah. It was absurd, and it went on for months. Happened. Yeah, one of those things just oh, does Jesus. not make but, sense. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, so you know, but other than that, like there are other ties between mixed martial arts, and you know, like people like whether it's people's promos that they cut, or you know, just the way that things are promoted. Period. Like these are. No, you don't have you don't have MMA if you if you don't have professional wrestling. Like you don't have certain aspects of boxing if you don't have professional. You know, like it is it's it's one of those things that's like been around for fucking forever. Uh, right. But and like, you know, you have all of these, you know, Conor McGregor is fruit of Ric Flair's tree as far as, you know, uh, talking goes and how he <laughs> carries himself and such. And well, you know, even just with like these, like with Daniel Cormier recently, with his, you know, quote unquote heel turn that he had, <laughs> which you know <laughs> he isn't. He has he is an avid, you know, WWE. Like he was at WrestleMania last year. Um. So yeah, like yeah. it's there's a big there is a very big crossover in you know in ways that many people on either side don't realize. And I'm like a lot of times, the only time the stream would get crossed recently with when Brock Lesnar went back to the UFC. And when that happened, when Brock right. Lesnar went back to the UFC, then all the professional wrestling heads decided to go and put their two cents in about, you know, MMA. And I was like, I don't know if y'all want to do this. <laughs> it's not These arguments well, are what we're seeing now with boxing. You know, we, we have a series of uh... – MMA fighters that want that boxing money now because they see the situation of uh, McGregor most likely facing uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather soon, and which, you know, really shouldn't happen. And I don't want to spend too much time on that just yet. But 
Um, but, but to your initial point, as far as professional wrestling and MMA, I mean, they, they are really one and the same in some respects. You know, you, you, you really can't have one and the other. And I think the only people that have a problem with that is MMA fans. I don't yeah. think professional wrestling fans really have as much of a problem. I mean, you go way back to oh, no, they Ali copying stuff from the style of uh, Gorgeous George. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing from way back then. I mean, if you really want to go old school, that's he was the, the true innovator of that. Yeah. Uh, but then you look at how the DNA of the, of the it, it's all sort of intertwined. He went over to Japan to have that special rules match with Inoki, which was Worst terrible, but <laughs> right. But, but it was, it was historic and symbolic in many ways. And yeah. It led to a lot of other things afterwards. Then you have, Indeed. then you have the Japanese scene with, uh, you know, UWF and rings and, uh, what they were attempting to do, having more of a shoot style for fixed matches, um, so there, I mean, there were still works, but there were still some shots that were legit. Then eventually having legitimate fighting, like we just mentioned, Boss Rutten, who blazed through in Japan uh, using modified professional wrestling rules. You know, say, for example, I catch you in, uh, as, as he did, he catches somebody in an ankle lock, the guy grabs the ropes. Well, then you have to let go. There was a right. point. There was like this docket system of points that you you can't do that for too many uh, to, to escape too many attempts, but. It was a matter of adding a new dimension of reality to professional wrestling. And it worked for the greater part and only really uh, led to mixed martial arts sort of evolving in some ways. You know, it, it stopped being these tough man competitions and more legitimate grapplers and legitimate strikers and people who were more willing to do hybrid stuff started jumping in. So, you know, it, it, in a, I guess, again, for, for people who aren't too big on, you know, this, the history of MMA and, and pro wrestling, Obviously, that's a, a very abridged and oversimplified version. But, but yeah, I mean, the DNA is, is intertwined. And not just in that. You also have to look at how events are coordinated and how fighters are set up. And yeah. what I mean by that is, you know, the pay-per-view model. Uh, the fact yeah. that the, that you know, the WWE, <laughs> the promotional style. You know, you look at Dana White talking about how they used to have the, uh, the major screens and stuff for some of the events because they couldn't sell those tickets. Well, what did they do? They set up two, for lack of a better word, titantrons. Okay, yeah. and they have pro wrestling style intros, right? It's similar to what Pride did, because again, Japan still kept that pro wrestling tradition alive. Um, whether or not that was a byproduct of them not really wanting to do anything too different, or the fact that professional wrestling has always been treated as a legitimate sport, or at least up until that time in Japan, or maybe a combination of, of that and other factors. Uh, but, but yeah, that that uh, you know, and, and here's another thing. When you look at all the secret meetings that uh, Vince McMahon has had with UFC president Dana White, what do you think they're talking about? Right. You know, everyone always asks them, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know what they're talking about is keeping independent contractors as independent contractors, right. paying them certain <laughs> rates and having to talk about licensing and exclusivity deals so that they, your company will be able to survive if any of these stars leave because the centerpiece of your organization is the brand itself. And yep. we've seen that time and time again, man. You know, some stars get big. Ronda Rousey might not ever come back. Conor McGregor might retire after this boxing thing. If it happens, who knows? But the UFC still remains as the number one brand, right? And there's still a lot of mileage you can milk out of that thing. Yep, yep. And the same thing with the WWE. Like, I know a lot of people uh, complain that the WWE is the star, you know, above everything else. But it's like, look, that's if, – if the WWE was not the star of its own promotion like, – it would not exist today. 
if it was like you there's, know like, yeah there's there's so many changing parts that as a matter of necessity it kind of has to be yeah so i'm curious of the crop in the ufc right now fighters who do you think could make the crossover to uh wwe like you know we've had there's been like the biggest talk has been recently has been over the past few years with of course ronda rousey because uh, you know she made the uh she made an appearance at WrestleMania a few years back that was like a big, you know, media phenom- phenomenal thing and whatnot. But like yeah, me being, you know, knowing how she uh, is within mixed martial arts and how she reacts to how people treat her <laughs> and with what we see currently, you know, with the whole moral situation, I don't think that she would do well <laughs> within. You know what, man? Listen, she can be really good at tuning out a lot of that negativity as well. And if we can make, you know, I remember when uh, Brock Lesnar left uh, the UFC to go back to professional wrestling. I remember the the time prior to that, I was like, there's no way he goes back to Vince. I mean, come on. The schedule and the time and the road and the grueling pace. And then you realize what kind of sweetheart deal he got. And you go, okay, shit, they're willing to accommodate and make certain concessions for this guy. Why wouldn't they do that for someone who can make you as much money as Ronda Rousey? I don't know. You never know, man. I mean, there's there's got to be some ways that you can make. I mean, put her on like a six month schedule, certain special appearances here and Well, there. no, for me, it's more. It's it's it has less to do with like the schedule and things like that. Like we've just just so you know how we've seen how you know she act reacted to when uh, Paige VanZant um, like congratulated Misha Tate. Or something like that backstage, and Ronda Rousey flew off on her, and it's like that okay. kind of stuff backstage. With, you know, with the culture that they have at the WWE and just in pro wrestling in general, I don't see her. You know, I don't think that is like the most. You know, like I yeah. do, like say like I, from instance for me, like Paige Van Zant could definitely see her working in the WWE on many aspects, different. Things like she could either be in ring talent. I could even see her being uh, one of the backstage people because she's a good talker. Um, yeah, she could probably be like a valet or something, or you know, keep her in some sort of situation where uh, she doesn't have to do as much of the physical stuff, but still uh, do just enough of it to to you know showcase her athleticism and stuff, and, yeah. and bank on that because that's what got her in the door. But also more use that personality and that shine. So you know, as green as she may be. Whenever the time comes, you know, you can hide those flaws rather well, which would, you know, kind of like a Paul Heyman move. That, that's kind of what you would do. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else would uh, that they have in the WWE, in uh, UFC right now that would be, you know, like the obvious answer, of course, one would be Conor McGregor, but that's. Well, I mean, I, I'd go know. further. I'd say Josh Barnett. Well, Josh Barnett is actually over in uh, TNA right now. Uh, oh, no. Right. Really? Or as they call it now, they are uh, now rebranded as Impact. I right. think it's just Impact. With this yeah. fucking owl, it's terrible. I'm, I'm sorry. You can't take that Dixie Carter stink off of that. I, mm-hmm. I can't. And listen, yeah. you know what? We're gonna. I, I want to go back to this because we, we didn't really finish getting into this, but that's another thing about that era. You at least at first had TNA. You know, I remember when they had the DirecTV thing. They were on every Wednesday and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, Rhino was champ, and then Jeff Jarrett got the belt right before they moved to uh, TNN, Spike, whatever the hell it was, right? Right. So they did 
rather well, and people had this expectation. A lot of people were pulling for them to succeed. They had some great talent. They had the X Division, Samoa Joe. A lot of these things were happening that really set them apart, and then they decided to be as similar. (laughs) They wanted to be as similar to WWE as possible, and that just kept throwing more money and more money. They bring in Kevin Nash, and he's gloating about how they're pissing off Internet fans and all this other stuff with, with, with the unfunny antics and Bob Backlund's chastising Alex Shelley while his tag team partner, who I don't even remember his name right now at the time, jumped out of the uh, – uh, no, no, it was Chris Saban. Alex Shelley, I think, had the belt, or was it, was it Saban? Saban had the belt, the X Division belt at the time, jumps out of a tree and startles Backlund, who chases him off like a Benny Hill sketch. And I sit there and go, what the fuck is this exactly? Right. What was, why are we doing this? Jay Lethal was relegated to that macho man gimmick for years. You know, just, Which he just, was amazing at. We will we'll say he was absolutely amazing at the macho man. Yes. No, I agree. But and you know, come with on, the Ric Flair joint. Like, but yeah, I, like that, I, was, I, that, was, that was played way too far for no real reason. And you kept the guy down who had the opportunity to shine and be far bigger than he was. But true. instead, they let him stagnate. I mean, why would I want to continue watching that? So when that kind of went down in flames way before the uh, Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff return, and that was another mm. thing entirely. Like, I was already off the boat. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm so glad I ain't watching this shit no more. And on the other end, you had, you know, the same old guys getting put over, none of the new talent. And it wasn't until they started really investing in NXT as the home for the new up-and-comers and – really throwing a lot more behind the Ring of Honor guys that they ended up poaching. That's where, like, okay, you know what? I genuinely have a greater interest in this again. Yeah. And, like, that back in the day, like, it was – TNA was my shit. Because, like, so that was right around the time that I stopped watching WWE. And – because it was actually – that was right when they started to – when they were no longer the WWF, and they were now the WWE. And it was getting mm-hmm. the F out. <laughs> and I started watching. I started watching TNA because, like, this was I was seeing things that I had not seen. I had never seen before uh, in the WWF. Like I said this on one of the previous episodes of the podcast. Like Elix Skipper walking on like fifteen feet up in the air, you know, walking across the tightrope essentially of the cage and doing a Frankensteiner off the top of the cage is still one of the most incredible spots I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And that was. Everything was good, and then it all went to, you know, they're yeah. like, okay, now we're going to be WWE lights. Yeah, and, and they, they brought in these guys who were trying to settle WCWB from 20 years ago. Right. They, br- they brought in the Nasty Boys at some point, didn't they? They brought in a bunch of, like, these old <sighs> – and the thing is, like, I get it's pro wrestling, and you want to have, like, these novelty, uh, you know, old school acts to bring in, but it's like this isn't doing anything for anybody but these old people. Exactly. And, and that's another thing that had that created that discontent with the WWE. They were running on fumes and really banking on nostalgia. You have right. to remember a lot of the DVD sets were coming out was the best of this, and the right. best of that guy. And you go, yeah, that would be cool. But can we like start building so we can see best ofs of other people? You know, right. like, they, it took them forever to get Rey Mysterio the belt, you know, and, and then when they did, they didn't really do much with it. Right. Uh, but that's just an example of mismanagement and, and what these business models do and, and how these uh, organizations sort of, uh, you know, they, they want to exert so much control and what they don't understand, they are liable to fuck up right. pretty much inevitably. Yeah, and we've got that on both both sides too. So it's, like it's the same thing going on now. 
The same thing's going on now in the WWE that was going on back then with uh, TNA, like in that they're bringing back these older acts because they've not put enough time, money, and effort into the younger talent to build these new stars that you're going to need in order to keep this thing, keep this train moving. You know, like the fact that uh, WrestleMania, it wasn't uh, headline, but like the, you know, one of the last matches was Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Like Goldberg, who hadn't been in the ring in well over a decade, you know, (laughs) who is in his 50s now. And it's very apparent that he can no longer do uh, this kind of thing. But it's like instead of putting, you know, this time and effort into building somebody else there, you know, got to use these old dudes. Got to bring back, you know, well, it looks like Undertaker's retired now, but, you know. Okay, but but let me me add two things to that. Number one, just two minor caveats to to enhance your argument because I see where you're going with this. Number one, the fact that Goldberg was never really capable of carrying a match beyond 15 minutes in the first place. And it's not something you would have wanted to see anyway. And then number two, the fact that they were also going for a title because, guy, seriously, at this point, this is where you want to put your – you want to put all your eggs in that basket. Okay, cool. Not even like a title, but the title. That's the other thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like, it'd be one Uh, thing if it was, like, the U.S. championship or the intercontinental title or something like that. But, no, it was the WWE Universal title, which, since it's the brand split, was, like, Raw's biggest title. And it was just like, what is this? What what exactly is the end game to where you guys are going with this? But, you know, it's... that's how. That's what they know. I mean, I suppose it's more of a brand recognition thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well that's doing for them. I, I know that the uh, the network seems to be sort of uh, hit or miss for them, depending on what day of the week it is. Um, yeah, that's that's another thing entirely. And I, I wonder really how that's going to affect uh, how that's been affecting these fighters. I mean, I remember when CM Punk had uh, left and he had already signed with uh, the UFC at the time. And I guess he either waited for the statute of limitations to, to pass up for some things or, I don't know, it was the infamous uh, interview he had with Cole Cabana. I'm sure you remember yeah. that quite well. Yeah. And uh, he mentioned something very salient at the time. He said, you know, with this new thing with the network, all right, cool, it's good for the fans. He says, well, we used to get pay-per-view points, but we no longer do pay-per-views, at least not, you know, in the strict sense of, of, of what it used to be. So right. how are we doing that? Uh, someone's going to get back to him. You know, right. and, and no one ever did. Like he's still he's still wondering, and he was champion for a while. So you know, it, they still have some things to sort out. And um, you know, I know a lot of MMA fans are wishing that the UFC did something similar. I mean, they already have an online subscription service for uh, it's relegated for some of the minor international events, so it's not right. conflict with TV scheduling, uh, and also to get some more of the uh, lesser known um, talent, you know, some exposure. Uh, it also serves as getting their prelims on too, so it, it gives fans more action to watch. But they're not really—they're uh, not about that life when it comes to just giving the events, you know, raising it to say maybe twenty bucks and giving you the pay-per-views as well. Pay-per-views as well, yeah. Because which, you would make more, like you would—they would make more money because more people are going to be willing to spend twenty dollars a month as opposed to sixty dollars a month for the pay-per-views. Like, look, if you get right. somebody that's only going to want to pay sixty bucks, so you know. So sixty dollars. I'm only gonna pay sixty dollars like once a year, really, and it's gonna be like the event that I'm gonna watch. If I'm gonna spend sixty bucks on something. And yeah, but I would but, be like with me if I sign up for things, especially if it's something anywhere between like ten and twenty bucks. A lot of times I will just forget that I even have the subscription, 
and just keep on uh, doing it. it. It won't hurt your pocket, but you know, theoretically, I, I see what you're saying, but I'm not sure that it's really that. Uh, uh, you know, pay per view is not doing for WWE what it's been doing for the USC. There sure. still is a degree of bankability there. There still is some financial, some some fiscal solvency that they gain by having these events because people will order them if the event is big enough. I mean, we saw right. the biggest pay-per-view draws were historically George St. Pierre, Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey. Uh, we saw Conor McGregor then, you know, go out there and shatter some of those records too. Right. Uh, people will still pay to watch a major event, watch major fighters. And even if maybe, um, you know, they're not doing a million on the pay-per-view mark as far as buy rates are concerned, they're still making a hefty chunk of change because you got to remember, it's not just, they're not just paying. All right, so let's say UFC pay per view costs you fifty bucks, right? Usually, it may be more depending on your provider, blah blah blah. You, you get the point. Right? right? You're paying fifty bucks. The cable company, the provider, gets half of that right off top. Off top. Right? That's that is non negotiable. But here's what happens: I go to UFC.tv, I order the event online. I'm still going to pay fifty bucks. But here's right. the, the problem: is I'm not getting it through my cable provider. They keep the whole kitty on that one. Right. right. You go to a sports bar, they got a fight event on, they're not paying 50 bucks. They're making some sort of agreement with Joe Hand Promotion. They're paying three, five, maybe even $8,000, depending right. on where you are and depending on how packed the place may get. They have projections in place for that sort of thing. So who really knows how much they're actually making off it? Right. Pay-per-view is still so viable. And I mean, you know, pay-per-view got to, and again, going back to my gripes, why I left watching professional wrestling. It goes back to that that whole notion of like, why am I going to plunk down all this money on this event when I know I'm just going to watch an extended version of SmackDown? Right. You, yeah. You could you could have tacked on another hour for me to watch another false finish, you know, another distracted ref spot, another dusty finish. That you know, come on, man. That, right. That shit just wasn't. You know, as a fan, it starts to feel insulting. And when you start actually charging me for the benefit and the pleasure, and you don't give me any of those, well, then I guess I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. I'm voting with my dollar. And I'm not giving you anything. Right. And that was one of those things that happened uh, a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, when they first put the network out. And WrestleMania was not good. And, like, so it was, it, it was a combination of WrestleMania not being good and the, the guy at the time, Daniel Bryan, not being the person, you know, uh, didn't win when they was when everybody wanted him to during Royal Rumble. Oh, God, and, like, yeah. Very quickly, the internet was like, look, uh, so this little network, yeah, we'll cancel this shit <laughs> because, you know, we're not about this old fuck shit. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things. And, of course, with uh, WMEIMG, you know, they wouldn't go to the subscription thing anyway because, you know, like you said, since there's so many – there's so much more to pay-per-view than – what we you know know right off the bat but like yeah they've got bills to pay now like yeah well it's not it's it's, it's not just the fact it's not just the fact that they've got these bills to pay but i mean and and for again for for those who aren't very uh who don't really follow mma uh wme img william morris agency uh whatever name you choose to call them they're the biggest talent agency in the world uh you know they've they've purchased the ufc for four point whatever billion uh, last year and the problem is that they had a loan that was uh, by the way brokered by goldman sachs some strange turn of events yep and uh now they've got a set of deadlines of how much money they have to pay as far as interest and capital are concerned so every couple of months you know they've got a really uh I think it's every yeah. Well, let's just say every couple of months. So they got to fork over a substantial amount of money. They are under the gun 
to maximize their profits and minimize their costs. Now, I think another thing, another caveat that should be noted here is that when it comes to how the UFC does business, they don't have the traditional concessions that a lot of other sports have. Right. Uh, say the NFL. You know, the NFL is king in this country. We, we call baseball America's pastime, but we've known for years that that's just that's just you know, so the, it, it's more of an honorary title at this point, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's the million dollar belt. Uh, so you 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 have this this uh, you you have this system in place in which people will be willing to throw so much money. By that I mean the networks, right? They're right. making money through TV deals that they have through NBC, CBS, ESPN, ABC as one entity. Right. Um, you know, they, they'll, they'll put on games on Fox. They have their own network. And not only that, but you have cities and commissions that are willing to grant them so many tax exemptions. There's so much money being moved around in these places because of the popularity of the sport. The UFC doesn't have that kind of support. You know, right. they have to cover their own overhead and their own production style, uh, costs. Uh, there's a possibility that they might be outsourcing that soon in order to save some money. I don't know how that's going to work. But, I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those things that you have to note. They have – there's with all these things in place and with the thirst for money that they're going to be having, it's not likely that they're going to be putting anything else out like that unless they're just charging you, you know, 60 bucks a month and they'll give you fight pass free or something like that. I, I, right. I don't see how they're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those, it's one of those tough things. <laughs> it's a very tough situation. For well, and and it's been tough for for WWE too because you look okay. at how you know they did the whole network thing. Fans were elated because now they don't have to pay as much every month. But cable companies were pissed, and a lot of them have dropped support. Yeah, you know, a lot of them have really backed out. Like, oh, you, you, as if they were as if it were some personal matter. Like, oh, you're going to do that to us? Well, in that case, and it just it just is what it is. You're not going to have that that infrastructure, but. WWE is more as a publicly traded company too, which probably grants another level of pressures to it, but they were more able to withstand that damage and take that hit than UFC would ever be right now. So uh, yeah. Cause like, and, and in that, because like the WWE or WWF, that's a lot of people will still call it is yeah. this is a multi, like not just multi-decade, but multi-generational uh, entity. That yes. is part of the American conscious. Like it's you know, like you always had these larger than life figures in the eighties. You had seventies uh, and eighties. You had the Hulk Hogan's, and you know, back in the eighties, of course, when you had the whole uh, rock and wrestling thing. You know, you got Cindy Lauper and all this yeah. like this massive thing. Like the WWE is part of you know American. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they even and had the they, UFC they, does not. <laughs> they had Liberace on when people still thought he liked women, which is you know, it's just you which know, was whole. Yeah, that, I, that's it, it. Made no sense. They had Mr. T. They had Captain Lou with Cindy Lauper doing music videos. Uh, they had the uh, Phil Collins video with they had, the Ultimate Warrior. Did you remember that one? Yes, they had fucking Tiny Zeus Lister. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Yes, they couldn't. They couldn't leave well enough alone. They didn't just have to make a Hulk Hogan movie. They tried to make the clumsiest crossover branding that we had seen up until later on. WCW up the ante with RoboCop freeing Sting from the steel cage. That I don't know how the hell he got locked into that bitch. Right. I mean, it's it's just it's painful. But yeah. you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's something else, man. Like you, the only thing you can look back and say at this point is, man, I'm glad we're not there anymore, and I hope we don't ever go back to fuck again. Yeah, yeah, because that was bad. Like not only did he have a bad look, like that unibrow that, that he had rocking back then was 
some fuckery. But well, you know what, man? It, it was it was just offensive as well. Like you know, at some point, the, the stupidity of it. I, I, there's only a certain degree of suspension of disbelief that you have to have in order to enjoy professional wrestling. Now you're gonna tack that on top of this shit too. Like, yeah. come on, man. That's like you know, like uh, what was it? The Great Muta had that uh, gimmick in Japan, and you can get away with it in Japan because they were doing bizarre things at Hustle and uh, the other organization, whose name escapes me right now. But they had this thing where like he gave his some son of his that was birthed through some giant egg in the middle of the ring, like the gobbledygooker. Yeah. I might be, I might be getting the details wrong, but you know exactly what I'm. You know <laughs> yeah, exactly no, what, what I'm talking about. about. I, I just don't. Yeah. I don't. What the fuck, really, really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things where it's like pro pro wrestling in general, like walks this weird line, where like you have some things that just work out amazingly. And then you have other things that are just like, yo, what, what, yeah. what were you guys thinking? Like, you know, there's certain aspects of like supernatural and things like that, where it's like, huh, this is a, <laughs> this could be, you know, sometimes it's dope, sometimes it's not. Like everybody can't be the Undertaker, you know. No, if the Undertaker no. came out and laid an egg, we probably would have bought it because he's the Undertaker. But you maybe, know, <laughs> maybe, but he'd he'd have to have, you know, Hector Guerrero would have to be like, you know, on the side winking, you know, out of out of costume. Yeah, you know, they have to be something about it. Well, and, and I'm not going to let you off the hook without bringing up Papa Shango. Yo, Papa I mean, Shango, like, so, okay. First off, <laughs> Papa Shango is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Favorite Fucking gimmicks really? of all time. Yes, really? he, is, he is both one of my favorite wrestlers and one of the ha- wrestling gimmicks that I hate the most in this world. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It's you mean a, like that, okay. Yeah, so, like, I loved, as a kid, he was one of the first wrestlers that actually scared the shit out of me. I never found I never found the Undertaker to be scary. I don't know if it was the purple gloves. I don't know if it was the red hair. Whatever it was, just didn't find. But Papa Shango, maybe it was just the simple fact that I was an island kid who had grown up with these stories of voodoo <laughs> and seeing and seeing situations where voodoo curses had been put on people, where ruts had been put on people and seeing the aftermath of what happened. When I saw that shit happen, and the Ultimate Warrior is sitting there talking, and the black glue, uh, black goo starts leaking out of the top of his head, as an adult now, I can look at it and be like, oh, okay, I can see why he had this big-ass jacket on and held the tubes, so on and so forth. But as a kid, scared the dog shit out of me. You know Absolutely what, man? Scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, though, I, I mean, that was a genius bit of, of marketing, and we should give a little credit to the Ultimate Warrior, who was never... Never any good at delivering a worthwhile promo, but he killed it there, man. He did. Yeah. That was a hell of an acting job. He made that yeah, look good. So like, I wonder if they didn't tell him. Like, yeah, you just press this button here inside of the uh, sleeve of your jacket. Don't worry about yeah. what happens next. Yeah, it like that whole situation. It was a terrible match, especially when I go back and look at it now. But like the build up to it was flames. Like I used to like I loved the build up to that shit, but. Yeah, no, like there are so many, like since we're on that topic, like there are so many fucking <clears throat> ridiculous, especially when it comes to people of color, uh, stereotypes. Like, you know, you if you had a black wrestler from anywhere between the beginning of professional wrestling in the 20th century all the way up to, let's say, about 1980, they were either they danced, they were a savage, uh, you know, they were like a big brute or... They were from Africa, you know, a savage from Africa somewhere. Yeah. And there yeah. was no in between, you know, like you yeah. had like Junkyard Dog, 
you know, junkyard dog when he was just, you know, in NWA and all those other things. Like he was a world beater. Like yeah. but then he comes to the WWE and you have a large black man walking out with a dog collar on with chains. Like hmm. the optics on that are so bad. And like yeah. so this so I'll share a personal story for me, for instance. So when my parents, uh, when I was younger, like my dad was like hardcore uh, tape trader, like would trade with dudes in Japan and all that shit, so on and so forth. He is Nigerian. He loved Junkyard Dog. You know, Junkyard Dog came on TV. My dad would get up and start barking and, you know, running around the fucking living room just like him. Right. Wow. That's yeah. Right. I, I don't know. So, how but I, here's, I don't know how I'd take that. So here's where it's where it gets kind of murky. So that was one thing. But then when Kamala the Ugandan giant comes out, mm. dad pissed when they turn Tony Atlas to Saba Simba. Saba Simba, God the African damn. warrior. A My literal was a literal vexed. a literal spear chucker. A literal spear checker. For the love of fuck, why? Absolutely vexed. And this was, you know, like, that's one of those things. Like, my mom hated Junkyard Dog from the get-go because, like, on my dad's side, never dealt, like, they didn't deal with slavery the same way that my mom's side had. Like, my father's from Nigeria, never had any, you know, no family members, no direct family members that were slaves. Uh, But my mom is the direct descendant of slaves in Bermuda. So like, you know, it was very interesting to see the juxtaposition of how they both reacted to these different, both wildly uh, offensive gimmicks. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, it was one of those interesting things to see. But like, yeah, there was some in the fucking 80s and 90s, there were some, you know, well, let, let me, let me ask you, there. let me ask you this. How did you feel growing up when you saw Slickster on the screen? Uh, so when Slick was on the screen, I didn't, so for me, it was, it was interesting because a lot of what was considered like black stereotypes, I didn't have that when I was growing up in Bermuda. Like I grew up in Bermuda for like, from when I was like an infant up until about four years old and I would go back every single summer, um, until I was like 16. So in those early, early, early formative years, I didn't know what black stereotypes were because the majority of the people that lived in Bermuda are of African descent. So like right. when I came over here, I didn't know. I When I would see it on screen, I was just like, oh, okay, this is just what Americans are like, you know? Uh, like, right. this, is, this is what black, black Americans act like. That's just what I thought because that's what mm. you would see portrayed on TV all the time. And yeah. with, as I got older, like it started to set in. Like as I started to have my experiences of, you know, being in the first grade and having a kid tell me that I can't play, uh, you know, having a white kid tell me that I can't play with his toys because the brown on my skin will make them dirty. You know, that's what his mom told him. So, you know, going home and trying to scrub the brown off my skin. Like, you know, once I had those things and like as I got older, yes, I, yeah. started, I hated those gimmicks but back in the day when i didn't know any better 
Right. It was just, it was, it just is what it was, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's like, and I, I what, what I find most revealing is what you, uh, your impression of the situation as a child. And you said, well, that's just how Americans do. Like, uh, right. and I'm sure you, you, you might have heard this from, because uh, I've, I've actually heard this from Nigerians when they say, you know, the American black, you know, there, there's a category, oh, yeah. there's a certain oh, yeah, way to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a distinction too where some folks from certain African countries, they look down on African Americans. Oh yeah, you know, no, they, they have definitely this, do. There's there's a... there's a lot of them that have this thing. Like you have this this opportunity to squander it and all these things. And you know, and and there's there's greater branching discussions of, of why so much of that is wrong. But I still understand where they come from. Yeah. Um, but at, it, it's it, it's really uh, eye opening to hear how that take really influenced you, given the the, the different um, sides of your family and and how they. Yeah, um, how they how they gravitated to these these weird uh, you know yeah. it's it's a weird thing to react to it's a it's yeah. a difficult thing to explain to a child. Yeah, yeah, no, like it was, and because for me, like I don't I don't really have like the best or much of a relationship at all with the Nigerian side of my family. Right, but, like I knew growing up back then, like they and with my family friends that we still have that are Nigerian, like there is so there is a specific word. It's a uh, agata. Like so, yes. you are so. You are not like that is a, a derogatory term for yes. a black American, essentially. Yes. And it's like, you know, I remember like my aunt being like, what's what's this? Oh, what are you doing over there? Oh, look at this. Acting like these Hakata children. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, OK, first off, I don't know what the fuck this is. So you yeah. have to explain this shit to me. Exactly. But, yeah. You know, but like it is essentially like the ghetto American black person. Uh, right. This is what it usually tends to be. Uh, used for but like yeah like it was an interesting <laughs> some interesting things growing up when it came well, to actually, like i think you you remember that video i sent you that guy who was uh, an african-american um trump supporter calling yeah. other calling other african-americans akadas i'm saying like wait you, you're you don't seem nigerian bro like right you're not you, like you, you're not sounding or like i don't know what gave you the right to think you can say that word but right. it's it's pretty it's pretty heavy it's right. not. Like it's, uh, a it's, it's, word it's not a mild term for anyone to just use. So yeah, that oof, Jesus, yeah. that's rough. Yeah, it was. It's it's one of those things. Like anytime, like I hear folks use like certain like Niger words, and I'm just like, ah, uh, you might want to look that up because yeah, whatever Hotep Negro told you that that was a thing. They lie to you, <laughs> or that it, or that it was even a good thing to be right, or that it was a good thing, right? Yeah, but you know, it's it's curious though, because like you, you saw that from the perspective, pretty much like the perspective of a foreigner. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and that's that's uh, that also speaks to this notion of what, and uh, I guess I should might as well plug it now, uh, the Bodega Superstar podcast. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, we had a nice, we had a, a great actually conversation about that that sense of otherness. Yeah. You know, that 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 certainly. Um, you know, no matter how American you may be, uh, ingrained in the culture and everything, um, you still kind of feel this degree of distance from from everything else. And that maybe that uh, you think that maybe that might have influenced the way you viewed it. Yeah, no, definitely because like I had, so I had coming to America. You know, no relation to the movie, but like, <laughs> yeah. so I had essentially four different cultures that I had to deal with. So I had the Nigerian culture, I had the Bermudian culture, I had the American culture, and then I had the black American culture. Yes. All four very different things. And having to grow up with those things, like, 
it was a like it was a very tough thing to do because like you know you, and on one end you know you have your American friends tell you that this is how this works but then the Bermudian side of me is like no that's not how I was raised that's not how you know that's not how that works at all and you know it, and, and in a sense like professional wrestling was a way for me to was an escape from a lot of that stuff sometimes it was like yeah. I, could just, I could just shut off everything and just go into this nonsensical world where this man that is jacked to within, you know, to obscene levels is running down to the ring in face paint, and a dead man is fighting a fucking Bigfoot. Uh, Mexican <laughs> Bigfoot is yeah. like, you know, and somehow the Mexican Bigfoot uh, uses chloroform against him. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, I, I can escape and and, and go back yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> you're not. You're not asking yourself why this broke Argentinian basketball player has a bodysuit with fake hair on it right. in the middle of the Caesar's Palace courtyard. You know, and and it, it, you don't really. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't really seem to. Uh, there's, there's less questions that are asked at that point because you have this cool little fantasy to escape. And you know what? I, I, it, it's pretty much the same for me. You know, it happened with uh, with video games and kung fu films and pro wrestling, much like you. So and yeah, I, that's that's just. Um, that's just something that, that you use as a coping mechanism for a lot of shit. And it's weird because you don't realize it at the time when it's happening. But it's it's such an American, uh, uniquely American thing. Yet, puzzlingly enough, you know, you, you, and you mentioned this as far as uh, the characterization of, of, uh, of black people in professional wrestling and American culture. Um, you never really saw too many uh, African-American champions. It's definitely no. not within like the massive televised era. No, you didn't. Like, you did not have so in non televised things, like uh, the simple fact that, like, or non televised or in the lesser brands, I guess you would say, like Ron Simmons was a champion, like one of the first black champions and one of the bigger. Uh, but in the WWE, you didn't have a black champion. And, like, of course, people will argue the semantics of whether The Rock is black <laughs> or not. And it's like, when you when it's when you have people of mixed descent, that's a that's a touchy subject. Yes, to, and the, the, I mean the nuances. Like, the nuances of blackness are complicated enough. Now try adding the the, the half Samoan thing. Right, you you got a different math problem to solve. Right, and not just, and not even like a black American, but if I remember correctly, Rocky Johnson is Canadian. So completely different. Fucking, you know, there's a lot of things like, and when I would have like I remember with like within like the. Uh, when the whole thing became, I think it was like two or probably about two years ago, when the whole argument of whether the WWE has had a black champion, they're like, oh, well, what about The Rock? And (laughs) almost almost entirely everybody that was in the conversation that's arguing this stuff was white. And it's like, okay, this is is (laughs) already a touchy subject. And it's a subject that many of you aren't versed in you know, there are nuances about this that you'll never understand. Yeah. Like when just like just within blackness that you have, especially within the United States, you have this whole spectrum of colorism that we have to deal with as well. And it was like, yo, y'all are saying a lot of things right now. But, you know, having somebody be, you know, half Samoan, half black, it's not the same as saying that, okay, well, this person is Irish and this person's German. 
it's not the same. <laughs> you know, like there's right. there's there's a, there's a lot of different things going on there. A lot of moving pieces. Yeah, a lot of moving pieces and a lot of history that many of you guys don't know about. So you probably should not start throwing, you know, your opinion your opinions that don't really have the uh, anything to back up these opinions. You know, well, other yeah, than for- a very cursory uh, notion of what race or you know ethnicity and things of that nature are. well per- perhaps perhaps we may need to reframe the conversation by by taking a different route for example all right and and we've talked about this some you know personally and stuff but right. we, we probably this would probably be a good time to delve back into the, the subject but um you know i've i've always like i talk about my life you know we joke around with the whole you know we have some hispanic people that come from countries that have had majority black populations but they're mixed around I mean, I'm slightly darker than Alex Rodriguez, but like I always joke around with it, like my blackness is one of the few things that make me a redeemable person, right? Like it's <laughs> it's one of the few good things about me. Right. I, I and we have the whole notion, like Jesus Samiro so aptly put it, you know, I know black, I know black. Probably I know black. Yeah. We have so many of these Hispanic people, which irks me to no fucking end, because they will brag about their music, they will brag about their food, they'll look at the rice and the beans and the pork pieces. Look at your fucking plate and tell me that that doesn't come from slave ancestry. Of right. course you're black. There's blackness yeah. in you, and it's not something to be ashamed of. But yeah. the point that I'm trying to get is, without getting too tied up in that, is the notion of I'm someone who would have a greater claim to join into that conversation. But the first few things I do is sit back and listen. I want to hear what other people who have actually got more of an experience in that would have to say and then start making determinations after asking questions. We don't really seem to do that very much when it comes to the matter of race in this country. So I'm not totally surprised, you know, for better or for worse. Look, some people just don't know anybody. It's not it's not a knock on anybody. You know, it just it's just a matter of. People want to jump in with their hot take and, and, and go off the, you know, shoot from the hip. It's not always accurate. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, 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 yeah. Especially within true. the past few years, it's just one of those things where it's just like, you know, trying to explain, and I know we're kind of off of the uh, pro wrestling subject right now. Kind no, of, not really. Uh, not really. Not like really. the simple fact, like how you have all of these like different things of race. Like you said, like there are so many Latin American countries who, like you can look at them and just be like, look, you didn't get that hair from <laughs> like that hair is not from the indigenous population that was on that island. Or, yeah, no. You know, like we have even within like America, we have the population of people that you know of the Creole population that will swear up and down that they have no blackness in them whatsoever. And it's like, well, ma'am, and or sir, that's a lie. <laughs> um, well, listen, and- I, I'll I'll give you this. I I don't I don't know if you. If there's some sort of character select screen that I wasn't privy to, right. you know, like I, it, it would have been nice to know. Yeah, nah, it, it's 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 it's, yeah. it's 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 fucking dumb. But I mean, but you know, and, and going back a bit, just, this is the point that I really wanted to get to. Uh, yeah. Jim Cornette was um, asked fairly a couple weeks ago um, on his podcast. He got some fan mail, and um, I only listen to snippets of it. I don't listen. To yeah, the whole, he is trash. Otherwise, but <laughs> well, you know what, man? Sometimes he makes some amazing points, and and he he discussed oh, yeah, a no, lot definitely. of the. A lot of the African-American wrestlers, especially particularly in the South. And, uh, you know, I said, look, Ron Simmons was not the first champion, the first African-American champion. You know, you did have other guys that, for whatever reason, given the context of the time, were not able to be successful. You know, you had Bobo Brazil, but you look at how he was booked. Right. You know, and it's kind of hard to make the case that he would have ever really been a champion. You know, his style 
was not great. Uh, it was good for entertainment, but he wasn't a very solid hand when it came to re- like. He was a good worker, but not a great wrestler. Wrestler, you know his 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 technique wasn't. And a lot of the guys at the time. I mean, he made a caveat to, to explain it wasn't just him. There were a ton of the guys at the time who had the same problem. Um, but then you know he had a guy like Junkyard Dog who had a similar situation as well. He was he was really great physically, but uh, when it came to the actual work portion, you know it there. It, it he had a certain kind of personality and a certain to a certain amount of things that he wanted to get in in that work in order for in order for the match to be successful. But right. the the interesting case that he put on was um, in the case of Ernie Ladd, who we said, look, Ernie made so much money working three different territories at once that why would it be worth it for him? Even, yeah, it wouldn't at all. Well, you're gonna put the belt on him and brand him as your franchise guy. Well, what does it really net him? What's really in it for him? Like it doesn't really mean much. But then you end up with, oops, sorry. I'm, uh, as you may have surmised, I'm, I'm, I'm cooking a bit here. But uh, I think the point, and I think it was when he went back to uh, Bobo Brazil again. And, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It was Junkyard Dog. Yeah. Uh, there was a promoter who he just, you know, he flat out called him a racist. He says that guy would have never given Junkyard the strap. You never would have given Dog the strap because, you know, no matter how much money the guy was bringing in, that, that's just the reality of what you faced of, at that time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and in that area. So, you know, it, it, it's it's sad, but it's kind of what it is. The only other the only other black champion I can think of was when Ron Killings had the uh, TNA title. Yeah. You know, and that, that yeah. counts under the NWA or I mean, whatever you uh, want to make of it. They did have Mark Henry did get one of the titles. It was one of those. It was when they still had like two big titles, uh, but right. he didn't get the big title um, at the at the time. Right, but yeah, yeah. Now it's it's one of those tough things where it's just like, and, and it's not just black and Latino, but it's also Asian and Polynesian wrestlers. Yeah, are like Polynesian wrestlers probably have it the worst out of anybody within pro wrestling when it comes to the gimmicks that you can get. Like, oh yeah, you had to be a you had to be a cannibal. Period for forever. Like, yeah, you're 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 a banana eating, uh, you know. You, you don't know Jesus, you know. It, it, you don't speak English, right? You know. I mean, the only guy who kind of caught a break there was Yokozuna. Yeah, and for because for the longest time, people thought he was Japanese, which yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> which was you know, his own problematic thing. But you know. yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it was Japanese forever, you know. Yep. Until some other kid said, "Have you ever heard him speak Japanese?" I go, "Oh wait." Yeah, you know, but but it is what it is. You know, when you're young and impressionable, you don't know any better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there were a lot of things back in the day. Like, I actually thought that the, uh, you know, the metal plate that was inside of Lex Luger's uh, elbow actually made it stronger. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, yeah. A, a bunch of, there was a bunch of stuff uh, when it came to pro wrestling where it's like, yeah. I'm an idiot for watching this stuff, but I'm still going to watch this stuff because it's fucking yeah. Because, you know, you have those great situations. Like, you'll have, you'll have like, a, maybe a year's worth of garbage, and then you'll have, like, just that one segment that is just so spot on and dope that I'm just like, I forgive you. You know what, man? I, I wish I had that kind of patience at this point, but I, I just don't. You know, and I'll, yeah, no, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what does it for me, man. I, I, there was a... There was uh, Daniel Bryan was was red hot, and I think this was right around the time 
uh, that WrestleMania that you mentioned that everyone was sour on. Okay. Um, they, it was on Deadspin of all places. It was on the front page of Deadspin and Daniel Bryan, after the segment climbs up, it was a steel cage match. He climbs up, he sits on top of the cage, he grabs his two index fingers and he starts going with the yes chant. Yes. Yes. And then slowly the whole crowd starts going with him. And they did one of those amazing panoramic shots. It's swinging from one side to the next. You see this entire arena of people. And they're just chanting with him. And there's there's something electric there. You know, there's this energy that you don't you don't know what it is. You can't describe it. You can't put your finger on it. But he hit something. You know, and, and I think the only guy that comes close to that right now is Nakamura. Yeah. You know, I, you, yeah. when you see this guy walk out, and Lee England has his violin and he hits that one sharp note. And it's it. And it it hits it. There's something that it does to your system. He yeah. hits a frequency on the instrument that, you know, it, it's almost like it's designed specifically for you to hear it. And if right. you get it, you know. Right. right. And once you hear that, and I don't know what it is, you, you, it, he starts playing and the chants start and there's something magnetic going on. And right. you hear the crowd and you see them, you see the passion that these guys, and, and you know, I'm sitting here watching as a lapsed fan, I'm sitting there thinking, God damn it. I don't know what's going on there, but I, I wish I, I wish I was that, you know, I wish I was in that, whatever the fuck that is right now. I wish I was there and that, 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 that just would, that energy would just fucking envelop me and, and, and take me somewhere. Because I'll tell you something, when you're watching it and you see it and you hear it, I mean, I'm, I'm tearing up right now. Like what? <laughs> this, yeah, no, like it's, it's, it's insane to me. And I don't, I remember seeing him in Japan. I, I don't understand the weird thing he's doing with his hands and the herky-jerky motions and the faces. He is. He is. But it doesn't matter. He's, like, he's dressed like Eddie Murphy in Delirious, and I don't care. It it's works. That, it just works. It like just it, works. Something about Nakamura that just works everywhere. And like, it's, it's, it's like, like you said, like even – and like when – so when you said with Daniel Bryan, that infamous like – shot of like iconic shot really yes. where you know he's sitting there on top of the cage you know just doing the yeah and the whole crowd like i got chills when i saw that and then same thing with nakamura when nakamura there is something that flows through the crowd and not just like the crowd there but the crowd at home as well that like it's you know the fact that we will we can sing and there's no words in the song, but we can yeah. sing his song yeah. <laughs> in its entirety for the entirety of his match. No problem. Yeah. And I know like right now is one of those, uh, it's, we're in the era of any reaction is a good reaction uh, for Vince McMahon. But it's yeah. like, to get a reaction like that, like you no, only, no. there are only so many people that can get those kinds of reactions. Brian, Daniel Bryan has been one of them. Yes. Nakamura is another one. And when the Hardys showed up the other day, like the pop that they got was people that were inside of the arena when it happened said that you could feel the arena shake. And there was like 70,000 people in there. So, you know, you know, it was. Yeah, but I don't I don't know about. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, that was more like, a nostalgia thing than it was. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to take away from that. But like the whole thing is like, OK, that was the pop of like, man, we're happy to see you guys welcome home you know you deserve to be in the big the big show again but this is a sustained thing this is happening every time Time. every time this guy walks out when this guy when he comes out and there's a violent 
So yeah, <laughs> that was the uh, technical difficulty that I told you about. Uh, we're definitely going to come back and talk about that again because uh, we were getting into a conversation that probably would have gone on for another hour and a half. Um, but yeah, go check him out. He is at Vic M Rodriguez on Twitter, uh, and his podcast we can find it on uh, iTunes and I think maybe a few other places. Add it. It is the Bodega Superstar. Um, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. You know, I'm going to try and crank one out uh, this week. Hopefully there's some interesting stuff that goes on. I'm not sure who my guest is going to be, but I'm working on that. Uh, but uh, yeah. Check me on Twitter at I'm just DEO. I'm the same on Instagram if you want to see like a snippet of my boring ass life. And uh, yeah, catch me saying mean shit on the internet. Peace. looking at the future right now you're looking at the only thing that matters because we will never ever remember anybody on this wall